Wow. Welcome to this here wow, brought to you in part by Jen Schulte, real estate broker with Century 21 Millennium Inc. Brokerage, the Jen Schulte team, leading you home. This here wow is the podcast dedicated to highlighting entirely exceptional people, places, and things found right here, right under our noses in South Georgian Bay. I'm Dean Holland, the lucky so-and-so charged with the exceedingly pleasurable task of pulling that all together right here each week from the comfort of Studio 11. Now, I got to tell you, for about as far back as I can remember, I've had an affinity for glass. Not sure exactly when or where that started, but I love glass. I have a pair of glass panels that hang in the dining room windows of our home, and they're from an old storefront in Hamilton, the city I grew up in and around, and date back to the 1930s, best guess. Something called transom glass is what they are. Prior to my rescuing them, they lived for decades over top of an old storefront window. Despite the paint and dirt and grime that was once caked on top of them, they now shine and gleam and are a sight to behold, as far as I'm concerned anyway. I have a collection of many old crown and ball canning jars, a number of which are used for practical purposes in our kitchen. Many of them also date back to at least the 1930s. The older they are, the more flaws and bubbles they typically sport, and those are the ones I always seem to favor. Prior to moving up from Hamilton to Collingwood almost two decades ago, I worked in the art of stained glass for a while, participated in a couple of one-of-a-kind shows and such, cut myself from time to time, sure, but, but loved it just the same. And from family beachside vacations over the years, I more than likely have about eh, 500 pieces of beach glass just waiting for me to decide the perfect application for them. I simply love the properties of glass. I love the way that light passes through it. I love its longevity and its durability. It has so many practical purposes and also so very many that are purely aesthetic. Even though I didn't initially see it coming, glass figures in rather prominently on this week's episode of this here wow. I'll be talking to a couple of different people about a couple of truly wow things found here in South Georgian Bay. Things you should know about, or at least know more about. You and I are going to get the intimate details. Now, one of those things is situated about as south as SGB goes, and the other, ironically, well, it's located on the north, really north end of things. So get yourself comfortable. It's time to start chatting. This here, this here, this here, wow. My earliest memory of a greenhouse is not really a good one, to be honest. You'll recall the 1969 Rankin-Bass Christmas special, Frosty the Snowman. That poor old Frosty gets locked inside one of those glass structures and meets his demise. Even now, it gets me reclumped. Recently, though, a young teacher that I've known for some years now, since, uh, well, since she was old enough to be a student, quite frankly, excitedly told me about a new teaching posting that she'd accepted in nearby Flesherton, Grey Highlands Secondary School to be exact, explained that she'd recently started a teaching job in, yep, a greenhouse. Now, I know it's not the only one attached to a high school in SGB, but holy cow, the excitement and enthusiasm that just gushed out of her when she spoke about it, I had no choice but to reach out to Allie Reed and find out more about this rather magical house made of glass. So here you are doing this, you're now teaching a program that involves this big greenhouse that's, that's part of this community and is attached to a high school. Yeah, so just for basics, the greenhouse is 60, 60 feet long, okay. about 40 feet wide, maybe a little bit longer. It's, uh, it's beautiful. 
it's original from the from Grey Highlands from this from the original build of the school. Right now it is packed. We have about I'm going to say about 7,000 plants wow. um, in there right now. Yeah. And they are literally growing every day and we're propagating and replanting and seeding um, all the time. It is this, it's this fantastic growing machine. Like it's, it's the warmest room in the school. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. It, it's beautiful. So the reason, the reason this program exists and the reason the greenhouse exists is because of this program called specialist high skills majors. SHISM is what they call it, S-H-S-M. And it's, it's a program from the government to support kids who work in the trades. And it gives them some extra funding and students some extra funding so that they can get certain certifications. So that's kind of the background of this program. And the way it's running currently is there's six classes um, a year that run out of the greenhouse classroom. But the classes are a wide range of skills and also what they're called. So we have like a, like a grade nine technology course where they only come in for two or three weeks and they just get like a glimpse of the greenhouse and landscaping. And then they move to all the other techs, you know, the construction, the auto, that kind of thing. And then in grade 10, we have um, a green industries course, it's called. So it kind of does a little bit of everything as well. And then when you get into grade 11 and 12, you can take um, green industries again. So you can take it at a senior level or you can take landscape design um, which is the course I just finishing teaching right now. And it is very cool. Wow. Really I mean, cool. I had to learn trial by error when I was growing up. <laughs> you know, I never, we didn't have courses like this when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, I, there's a few schools in, um, Blue Water District School Board that have a greenhouse. Um, and some of them have built new schools and they're waiting for either a greenhouse to be built or they're hoping a greenhouse will be built. So it's kind of a luxury to have this program. Um, and the specialist high skills major part of it has been around for 15 years. And it's one of the, it's one of the oldest, um, specialist high skills majors in the board. Um, so we're really, really lucky and we get the coolest thing about it is when you think of the trades, often people think of like one kind of group of kids, but the coolest part about my program and the program that we're running is we get kids from all the different, um, pathways. So some kids who are gonna go right into the workforce, some kids who are gonna to go to college first, and we even have kids who are gonna take like um, landscape architecture at Guelph University are taking these courses and they're all mixed together. So it's, it's beautiful to see all these different variety of kids um, in the same room with the same, with the same goals. It's really, it's really fun. Yeah, yeah. Now you say, did you, did you say this about 7,000 plants in there right now? Mm-hmm. And what types of things would you have in there? What kind of variety are we talking about? So we're mostly we're mostly doing annuals this year. Um, we have the goal in the greenhouse is to have a plant sale, um, and it it differs every year. Obviously, COVID, um, we're not one hundred percent sure what that's going to look like or even when it's going to be. Um, but the plants will be ready towards the end of May. The goal is to have um, the Saturday of the May long weekend a plant sale in the parking lot. So like curbside pickup only, and we're still working at the, the kinks with that, obviously with the shutdown, um, but they're mostly annuals. We have a lot of herbs, so people will request certain ones. Yeah. I like, I like herbs. That's good. Our, yeah. our basil. Oh my gosh. The, the kids did it. 
It was so sweet. And this is the best part about these kind of things. They didn't realize you had to like spread the seeds out. Like after I taught them numerous times, <laughs> they still just dumped a bag of basil in this one tiny little pot. And so it was like, what is going on here? And I've taken this little tiny pot of basil and expanded it into like 30 different containers. <laughs> you walk in and it smells like an Italian grandma's kitchen, like between the, the beefsteak tomatoes and the basil. I'm like, it's, it's remarkable. So we've got a lot of basil and a lot of dill. <laughs> so like when I say a lot, we have probably 250 tomato plants. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so part of, part of the greenhouse stuff too, is like the kids have to know how to take care of those plants, but then they have to know how to landscape them and use them for projects as well. So we did a lot of, um, landscape design and like what the functions are and why people need landscaping or why people hate landscaping. And, um, the kids actually did all of the gardens and the courtyard at the school in two days, cleaned it all up. It was amazing it was unbelievable to see nice and what a, a great sense of accomplishment that they must have yeah they I was gonna do because it looked like honestly I looked at the forecast and it looked like it was gonna rain and I thought okay we'll just do something inside like we'll do some design stuff on paper with scale and all that kind of stuff and then I saw the forecast change and I was like no scratch it and so last minute I scrapped this project I emailed the kids at night and it was like bring your outdoor clothes tomorrow. We're going outside. We're cleaning up the gardens. And it was the most beautiful two days. It was sunny and gorgeous. And the kids, the kids just like worked so hard. And they were like, we're not even being paid for this. Like they were, they were just these little champions. Like anything I asked them to do, they did it. And other kids were like, Hey, you know, Miss Reed last year, we tried this. Can I try this now? And they just, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So the gardens are fresh and look like they're ready for some, some growth. So we're, I'm excited to see what it'll look like, but it was amazing. I, I, I honestly, I cried <laughs> because the kids were so happy. Like it was when you see teenagers having pure joy and laughing and, and smiling, it's, it's the best thing. So it was a great two days before the, the break. <laughs> yeah. Before the break. Now, I've got to figure that with a course like that, you've got to have some kids who from the onset are maybe not wanting to get their hands dirty. <laughs> do, mm -hmm. do you get those as well, but they get into it? Yeah, there's, there's a lot, like there's characters that come in. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is I model a lot. So I'm like, I'm, I'm getting dirty. I'm soaked. Like the one, the one day I had mud from my knees to my toes, like just completely covered. And I think, once the kids kind of see the teachers doing that and they're buying into it, they jump on board. But yeah, there are some hesitance. And like, we have worms. We have a really, we have a red worm composting program. Um, so that's, so that's cool. But obviously I squealed the first time I saw this big bowl of worms. But then the kids were like, oh, if she's a little squirmy, it's okay if I am too. So it was, it was pretty cool. But yeah, they don't, some of them don't love it, but by the end of it, they would actually come in. So the way the school is set up right now is that from two to three, we have a study period where kids can stay or they can, they can go home an hour early. And I had, by the end of the course, I had eight out of 16 kids coming every day 
every single day to check on their plants, to water, to sweep the floor. Like it was unbelievable. Wow. You reminded me of something that goes back to, holy cow, probably my nursery school days when I remember that we, we, ha- we were each given a jar and then they put like a cardboard sleeve down the middle of it and put soil in it. And on the outside were the beans. And I remember that then you got to see the beans growing up with the side between the cardboard and the, and the jar. And I remember that every day we would check them, you know, even at that age at being five. So all of a sudden you brought that memory back to me. And, and that must be, I guess it's, it's, it's a form, it's a nurturing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And you know, we have beans as well. And the beans pop up really quickly. So does the lettuce. So like those are your money makers. Like kids get into that. Yeah. They uh it's amazing how to teaching them how to nurture and and be a good person too. Like there's part of that aspect of it. It's not just growing vegetables and it's not just landscaping. You're learning how to care for something and love something and be passionate about something, which Woohoo. That's a big win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the um, back in high school of the drama room where where certain kids would always want to uh, want to hang out, you know, after school at the lunch hour. You know, you want to be in that theater space. And I know you have a theater background as well. So I think you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of the other great things is now it's kind of a hub for teachers, too. So I've been pretty open and in inviting people in um, on their lunch breaks or after school to come and just do a walkabout. Like, as I said, it's so warm and sunny in there. So even the days when it looks miserable outside, it's warm and it's like, it's just, it's, it lifts you up instantly. So I, I regularly like email teachers. I'm like, there's new growth today. Come on in. Or I'll say, I'll say to, you know, whoever's in the hallway, do I have five minutes? Let me show you something. And just to, to bring them into the space as well. Um, Cause a lot of the times we stay in our classrooms and we never know what other people are doing which is, is fine. Like that's kind of how teaching works, but it's way better when we work collaboratively and we, and we show each other tips or tricks or what we're working on and keep everybody involved. So yeah. So the teachers now bought in, it's, it's kind of great actually. And I have little desks and chairs set up in there. So if a teacher wants to come and mark at the end of the day or whatever, they, they have space to do so. That's great. That's great. Now, now of course, you know, COVID has changed so many things and certainly it's, it's, it's going to continue to do so. But how do you see the program uh, evolving or moving forward? You know, e- even if we're talking about the fall at this point, I mean, how do you see it going? Mm-hmm. So one of the aspects of the specialist high schools majors is having experts in and going on a lot of field trips. Um, so that's had to completely be at a standstill this year you know, we'll have landscape designers come in and work on the property with the kids or the kids will go to a work site and work with landscape designers. Um, Kids will go to different colleges, you know, get a kind of glimpse of what's going on. Um, So that has stopped, um, obviously, because we can't go anywhere. Even certain certifications are first aid, right? We, We do first aid certification. We can't have someone come in. So that's all digital. Um, we do chainsaw certifications. Chainsaw um, certifications. Okay, I didn't yeah. see that one coming. Yeah, we do. It's remarkable. So the kids who are in the specialist high skills majors, that's one of the certifications that they can actually achieve um, in high school. It's amazing. But we obviously we can't do those kind of things. We don't, we can't bring people in to run those courses. So it's um it's been harder and more challenging with COVID. I am optimistic. I am 
always optimistic um, that things will hopefully by the fall be a little bit um, a little bit easier, even if we can get into the community more. Um, that would be that would be great. Like if we could just, you know, help somebody out with their garden or do a do a fall cleanup somewhere for somebody. Like just expanding a little bit. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful program, and and it's not just landscaping and plants. Like it's so much more. And uh, yeah, it's it's remarkable. I do have a lot of community support as well, Dean. So the Flesherton area is really interesting. Um, lots of agriculture and lots of families that are still in that area. So the people who've reached out um, for if they could help with anything or are interested in the plant sale, I even have teachers who come help me water um, who are in the community because it's, it's a lot of work to water plants every day. And so I have this remarkable little collection of people who are so supportive of the school and of the program. Um, I don't know if you'd get that in a bigger city. I don't, I don't know if you'd get the same feeling of, of worry, <laughs> um, but in Flesherton, you, you can feel it. You can definitely feel it. Um, and it's amazing. It's a really good feeling. Something else you need to know about Allie Reed. She confessed to me that she routinely likes to sing to the plants in the greenhouse. She's convinced that this helps in their growth and general well-being. Apparently songs from the musical Little Shop of Horrors often make the list of selections. Perhaps when things eventually open up again, I can uh, convince her to do a concert there. So, after hearing that interview, I think you'd agree that the greenhouse isn't the only wow. I'd say that the teacher running it is also way up there. I'd also say that GHSS is lucky to have her. Allie would love if you'd follow the greenhouse's Instagram account. She also sent over some pictures. I'll post all of that, plus the GHSS website address, on the This Here Wow Facebook page. Now, before I get to my next guest, I'd like to gush for a moment about a particular individual whose calling in life is helping you buy or sell a home. Jen Schulte, real estate broker with Century 21 Millennium Inc. Brokerage. You know... For 22 years now, Jen's been busy creating the rather impressive, top-producing Jen Schulte team right here in South Georgian Bay. And what always impresses me is her seemingly endless energy and unwavering drive that she carries with her and shares with others. Jen plays a really big part in bringing this here wow to your ears each week, for which she should be applauded. And she does this because, well, like yours truly, she feels that South Georgian Bay is so very exceptional in so many ways. Both of us share in the mantra, SGB, the place to be. So, if you're looking to build your wealth through real estate investing, or if you're looking to buy or sell anywhere in SGB, Jen and her team will help you sell smart and buy smarter. Guaranteed. You can find her on Facebook, Instagram, or you can go to jenschulteteam.com. I've done these morning dates for years now with my children, once a week, prior to school. This has always been a way for me to spend a bit of one-on-one -on -one time with them during their younger years. Alas, as they become or enter into the teen years, I typically get a bit less buy-in. If you have or have had teens, you'll surely understand what I'm talking about. Now, with COVID and the pandemic, we've adjusted on how we do these dates. Of late, we grab a morning treat, for me it's black coffee, and drive somewhere along the shoreline and observe the water and the sunrise and such. On one of those recent excursions, I pointed out the lighthouse, sitting right there in Nottawasaga Bay. 
I was unable to answer accurately most of my youngest daughter's questions about that rather romantic structure that quietly sits there year after year, so I figured I should make a few calls. In short order, I was directed towards one Robert Square, Vice Chair, Government Relations for the Nottawasaga Lighthouse Preservation Society. Robert's experience with local lighthouses goes back at least a few decades before moving to Collingwood in 2009, so the NLSP couldn't have ended up with a better guy to help out with things, and I couldn't have asked for a better guy to tell me about the rather regal tower of stone and glass. In the mid-1850s, central Ontario was really starting to open up to uh, immigration, and, uh, you know, they'd opened up uh, various areas, and and with it, it, you know, came commerce, and more people came, and there were boats to transport the immigrants and, you know, bring commerce back and forth, back and forth along the, uh, the lakes. And in that time, there was only one lighthouse in Lake Huron, Georgian Bay Superior, and that was in Godrich. So boat captains and boat owners, they were pretty much on their own trying to find their way around the lakes because there were, there were no navigational aids. And because there was also very little regulation. So qualifications to be a captain, you bought a boat and <laughs> off you went. It was as simple as that, was it? <laughs> it was pretty simple, yeah. So they were running into each other, running up on the rocks and, you know, it, it was a real mess. So the uh, government decided, the colonial government decided to, uh, you know, build some lighthouses. So they got this ambitious plan to build 11, 11 stone lighthouses. And they, you know, picked the sites and everything else. And um, as it turned out, uh, their cost overruns, you know, nothing's changed in 160 years with the government, has it? No, it hasn't. As soon as you said that, I thought, well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. So um, they they only built six of them, six stone towers, of which uh, Nottawasaga is one of them. Uh, the other five, there was um, Point Clark uh, near Kincardine. There was Chantry Island off of Southampton. There was Griffith which is Griffith Island on the approaches to Owen Sound. Okay. Cove, Cove Island off of Tobamori. And they started building in the summer of 1855. And they were completed, the stonework was completed in 1857. Okay. The lantern rooms and mechanisms are probably an, an interesting story in that it they came from France. Everything, the lenses, the lantern rooms, everything came from France. Really? Yeah. So there was a bit of a issues getting them over here. They sat in Halifax to Montreal, and then there was issues over duty. And so they, they finally arrived at their destinations, and um, a French crew came over and uh, installed the mechanisms in the lantern rooms. And October 1858, Cove Island was lit, and a month later, Nottawasaga was lit. November 30th, 1858. 
Now, and if memory serves me correctly, that is the same year that Collingwood was incorporated into a town, is it not? That's correct, yes. And, uh, and, and the railway was just coming up to Collingwood. It was a terminus. Um, there were beginnings of a shipping trade. Uh, you know, the goods would come up by rail on sh the ship and go off up northern Huron, uh, Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. So it was um, a pretty busy time, construction time. And there were a lot, a lot of stories uh, involved with the, uh, with the lighthouses. And um, one real unique feature was that right up underneath the eaves, the top of the lantern room, they had 13 bronze lion's head gargoyles oh. up around there as, as a decoration. And they, uh, they served as the downspout for, for the water. Wow. Yes. So how long were the lighthouses, including the Nottawasaga Lighthouse, how long were they in service? Uh, some of them, they varied. The Cove Island, her sister off of Tobamari, is still in service. Point Clark, uh, Chantry are still in service. Uh, Griffith is still. So it's just uh, Christian and uh, Nottawasaga that are no longer in service. Mm -hmm. And the hope is one day to put it back into service. And so what kind of an uphill battle is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, up, uphill battle. Um, or or well, maybe it's paddling against the, uh, the current is maybe a better way to describe it. Yeah, we're paddling against the current with the wind to our face. Yeah. Um, the government doesn't move too quickly and in the best of circumstances and uh, with COVID uh, pretty much a lot of them are working at home so, so they don't have direct access to their computer information but yeah. uh, we are the Nottawasaga Lighthouse Preservation Society is um, currently negotiating with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans for ownership of the lighthouse and the surrounding property. I see. So you, you want to purchase it and, and own it? Yes. Yes. Um, it's in pretty sad shape. Um, Coast Guard uh, uh, turned the light off a number of years ago. So it's just sat to its own devices and the ravages of uh, Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. Um, luckily, there is a piece of legislation that got passed um, that provides a mechanism for municipalities and nonprofit organizations, etc., to own a lighthouse because they want to get rid of them all. So okay. under the Lighthouse Protection Act, uh, our group and similar groups and municipalities can own a lighthouse for a dollar. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> That's kind but of cool. <laughs> at, that, is, that is really cool. However, um, the number of hoops you got to jump through to get, get one is pretty onerous. It takes years. And how far through that process would you care to guesstimate that you are? Well, we are hopefully at the end of, end of the process. Um, we've talked to the people in Ottawa. Um, we are currently talking with the Chippewas of Nawash, 
near Wyerton who have a, a big land claim out. And uh, we've talked back and forth to come to an agreement that would allow us to restore the lighthouse on, on the yeah. island and not infringe on their territorial rights or uh, cultural beliefs. An important detail for sure. It's important and it's one of the last hurdles that uh, the government would like us to have. Can, I, can we talk a little bit about the island that it's on that you've referred to? How far out from the shoreline is it? It's, uh, it's about a couple of miles out, um, just off of the closest point is around uh, the development of Princeton Shores. A couple of miles out, just offshore there on the, on the northwest side of the island. Okay, so for somebody who knows nothing about lighthouses, other than the fact that they're tall and, <laughs> and, and they have a light at the top that goes around. <laughs> I'm thinking yes. to myself, how, especially because it was built back in 1858, how does it get power? Uh, right, well, right now there's no electrical out there whatsoever. Most, a lot of them now are battery, solar powered. But Nottawasaga, initially, it was whale oil huh. that passed, and then kerosene. And uh, the lamp rotated by a clockwork mechanism, like, like a grandfather clock, and a system of gears, and it just went click, 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 click. And then when the weight got to the bottom, the keeper would wind it back up again, and away, away you go for another eight hours. Or, that's how they were generally powered. So there would have to be somebody out there all the time. Yes, there was. Until the 1960s, the house burned down in 1959 at Nottawasaga. So the keeper stayed on the mainland. And uh, then when it got struck by lightning, um, they deemed it unsafe and mm -hmm. just turned the light out and went home. Now, I've seen some pictures of it, and it seems to me that uh, is it some of the, uh, the, the rock face along the one side is, has come off? There's, I guess there's a fair amount of restoration that needs to be done. Yes, there is. Uh, the lightning strike in uh, 2004 created a big bulge on, on the side of the tower. And that eventually, I guess probably because of the concussion from another lightning strike, just blew the side of it right off. Okay. There's, there's, there's two walls. The inner wall is a, a cylinder, and the outer wall is, is, is a cone. And in between those two walls is rubble, sand and rubble. And the way it was designed, that inner wall, the cylinder, is the structural wall. And then the outer wall or the cone is um, a facade or a stabilizing wall. So uh, right now, it's uh, the lantern room and everything is sitting on that uh, inner uh, cylinder. Okay. So all the mechanisms that you talked about earlier that came from France, they're all still there? Um, bits and pieces of them. Most of them are gone. The one most complete is Cove Island. So then what would be the hope of, of the organization, the Preservation Society, in the restoration, would it eventually light up again just with a newer, a newer mechanism? That's our hope. Um, 
the uh, original lenses, the French-made lenses from Cove Island are still around. They're still there. So the hope is to replicate those lenses and reestablish a lighting mechanism at Nottawasaga. Sounds like a, and, sounds like your organization is doing a lot of work. It 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 is. It's a lot of work. Um, you know, we've got companies on board that are willing to help us at cost or near cost. Um, environmental. Uh, situation has to be corrected on the inside a lot of lead paint in there and mold and everything has to be cleaned up but there's a company that is willing to do that at cost and company that'll supply um, the scaffolding and stonework and big 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 investment of time and manpower yes it is yeah and um because it's a it's a structure worth saving because uh, it's quite symbolic in the development of Canada. Um, you know, lighthouses on the Great Lakes played a significant role in the building of the railway, immigration, commerce. There's thousands of individual little stories of the lightkeepers and their families. And, you know, this is all part of our, our heritage, and we have to preserve that. We have to at least try to preserve it. Robert assures me that the Nottawasaga Lighthouse Preservation Society can always use some extra help in their various endeavors. Manning information booths, speaking engagements, individuals with construction experience, and with fundraising. I'll be posting a number of pictures and such that Robert forwarded to me, including a snapshot of one of those impressive lion heads that will once again, one day soon, grace the roofline of that lighthouse. Another shot shows a team executing the rather monumental task of wrapping the tower in tarps. This was done back in 2016 to protect the tower from moisture. Impressive all around. I'll post their website too. You'll find it all on the This Here Wow Facebook page. And that brings me to the point in the program where I express my endless gratitude to each of my wonderful guests. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of this week's episode of This Here Wow. I truly love the time we share chatting, love even more the incredible contribution that's been made to the SGB landscape and culture. We are all very lucky to be able to be here in this rather exceptional landscape called South Georgian Bay. Of course, I'll have an entirely different bunch of wows to bring your way next week there's no shortage of them here in SGB. Now, if you have any questions or comments, or perhaps there's a, a wow that you think should be on my radar, please do send me an email. Dean at thisherewow.com is the perfect way to get that job done. You can also go to my website, deanholland.com. That's Dean, H-O-L-L-I-N.com. And I would sure like to hear from you. Thanks so much to the Jen Schulte team. Jen Schulte, real estate broker with Century 21 Millennium Inc. Brokerage go to jenschulteteam.com. Thanks as well to my technical producer, Ben McCulley, for putting the show together so nicely each week. Thanks also to my favorite IT guy, Mitchell. Special thanks to Ash and love to G. And a really big thanks to you too. I look forward to us being together again next week for another installment of This Here Wow. Until then, I'm Dean Holland. Do, 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 this here, this here, this here. Wow!